Hello. Thank you for being a part of Raising Me. This is where we take parenting questions and challenges straight to the experts for advice and stop for some self-reflection along the way. I'm Adrienne Stein. I'm a mom of three, and I am doing my best to figure it out just like you are, hoping I don't mess it up along the way. And today is a big one. Parenting in the digital age, specifically when it comes to social media, we struggled with this one big time in our house. Really, when to allow it, because once you rip that Band-Aid off, it's not like you can just put it right back on. And then there's the, well, all my friends have this app. Why can't I get it? It is so hard to know what is right or when it's right. But what we do know, this is part of the teenage experience. No getting around it. So how do we navigate it in a safe and healthy way? For that, we are turning to psychiatrist Dr. Jeff Barkin. He's going to share not just the negative, but also some of the potential good that can come from using social. How to know when it might be right for your child, which, by the way, he says is not tied to age. And if you also have some questions about how closely you really should monitor their accounts, (laughs) boy, does he have an answer for that. So parenting in the digital age, Dr. Barkin, I actually, I don't know a single parent who doesn't struggle with this topic. Do you? I don't think I've met anybody that hasn't struggled with this topic, both for themselves and for their own kids and family members and friends. (laughs) That's so true. I mean, it's a wide ranging topic. And frankly, I think, you know, we're talking tablets, we're talking phones, we're talking computers. There are all kinds of different things. But for our conversation, I really want to focus on social media and this push-pull of when to allow, when not to allow, when it becomes a problem. And before we get into the the problems that we, uh, obviously, we've heard about the negative side of it, but there are some positive parts of social media as well. So before we get into all the negative, what are some of the positive things that can come from social media? Well, there's so much information out there that we have the ability to access free of where we are. Geographic barriers disappear with the internet. Time barriers disappear with the internet. The ability to learn from a lecture, listen to a concert, watch a movie and pause it and kind of enjoy it on our terms. That's phenomenal. The ability to connect with people, to especially connect with people to plan so you could be with people in person and a little bit more intimately are wonderful parts of the internet. So it's not that the internet and social media is bad. It's more of, well, what we do with it and how that impacts us and those around us. You know, depending on your child's age and they're starting to express some interest in social media, are there actual developmental milestones that for us as parents, we should be looking for before we consider moving forward with that with our kids? I mean, are those sort of like markers to look for? Absolutely. The the first, let's start with very young kids. Very young kids are in a process early on of social attunement and learning. And as we get older, we're able to learn from the information that we take in. One of the most important things is What do people do with information? Can they understand it? And the use of social media and the internet and images is a wonderful way for kids to learn. It's also a nice opportunity as programming is safe for kids. You have to find that as a parent to have that opportunity to spend time with kids, to begin to teach them at a young age 
healthy habits for the consumption of media. What about when they get into those preteen and teen years, though? Like, how do we know when, you know, our kids come home and say, hey, everybody has Instagram. Can I get Instagram now or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever it might be? Are there markers to look for? Yeah, great question. And let me just sort of level set by saying that I personally am not a big fan of social media use in young people. And by young people, I mean specifically 13 on down. Because at that age, we've not developed the psychology to feel comfortable in our own skins. And we're very vulnerable to the really scary effect of the internet on social comparison. So when you're 11, when you're 12, you don't really have a sense of who you are. You may not have developed self-esteem. And when you're taking in images of other people, particularly images where those images are curated, so you're only seeing other people having great times, it can really do bad things to your self-esteem. So 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, I get very, very cautious. 13, 14, 15, that's the next age band. And again, very cautious with that age group, though I realize that to be a 14, 15, 16-year-old, you need social media to even know where to go if you're going to socialize. So maybe we could talk about some of the issues of that age group. I want to talk to you about the sort of the comparison, because what came to mind is back in my day when it was Seventeen magazine, there was an end to the magazine. You know, you look at the models and you see the cute swimsuits and the outfits and oh, my gosh, they're so thin or they're, they're so beautiful. And you have that comparison. But the magazine comes to an end. The thing with social media is, you know, on Instagram comes to mind for me, is that it's an endless feed of all these people looking like they have such a great life and the, the perfect body and great outfits and having so much fun. It's terrible. And that right there is the cause of so many problems. I could share with you and, and the listeners and viewers an experience that I had and witnessed which really kind of portrays what not to do. But my wife and I go to Midcoast, Maine in the summer and just love being outdoors. And we're sitting at one of our favorite spots that's right near a kayak rental and just enjoying a beautiful day, beautiful lunch. And there is a couple from, from a city, you could tell. I'll just leave it at that. I'm from a big city, love people from cities. But at the table is mom, dad, and two teenagers, and they're making plans, even though it's summer for Christmas. And mom wants the kids to go skiing in Vail and arrive on Christmas Day. And one of the daughters is pushing back, saying that she wants to be with her friends on Christmas Day and not travel. And mom responded in exactly the worst possible way for a parent to respond. And that is to say to her daughter, oh, honey, no, think about what a great Instagrammable moment it'll be. Watching you come off the plane on Christmas in Vail, think about how your friends will take that in. They'll really love you. And had I not heard that and seen that with my own eyes, I wouldn't be able to share with our viewers today the corrosive effect because all of the girls who are going to be watching this girl's social media feed are going to assume that that's what is normal, right? Is that, oh, I go to Vail to go skiing on Christmas Day like a movie star. And when you're 14, 15, and 16, we're really not that capable of dealing with social comparison and social judgment. So when we're putting things on social media and we're curating the imagery that we put up, and we're only putting up ourselves skiing in the veil, that can create a 
an image of ourselves that's far, far different than the reality of who we are. And when people see that, they think we have a great life and they think that their life is very bad. And that's a very corrosive effect of social media and that age band. In order to know, your original question was, how do you know when your kid is ready? And your kid is ready for social media in that age band when they're comfortable in their own skin, when they're not getting upset seeing somebody else being happy. That's a very important marker. Wow. Yes, that is that is a great marker to look for. And, you know, we talked a little bit about pressure, but like kids do feel pressure to join. Not every parent is on the same page saying, okay, Instagram when you're 14 or 15 and Snapchat when you're 16, which, you know, I mean, kids are walking around with Snapchat in, in fifth and sixth grade, which feels young to me. I, I mean, everybody feels differently about that. That's okay. But when kids come home and they feel like, well, everybody has Instagram, which we heard for a very long time. How do we as parents help our kids navigate that pressure they're feeling to get onto social media if it's not quite right for your household yet? Well, first of all, just because somebody says everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that it's right for you. And when we've met one child, we've met one child. So you have to really know your kid and know if they're ready. And I think the most important thing to know if your kid is ready is their own comfort level in their own skin, rather than having hard and fast rules. It's not just the age. It's then, well, where is it used? And I, I think that when social media or the internet is used secretly, or worse, at night, when it interferes with sleep, that's when we have really, really big problems in youth. And the two problems that parents really should be aware of in the teenage bands are twofold. One is the light from our devices at night cause sleep disruption. And that sleep disruption, even though it's a low level of light, light can impair school performance the next day, can impair social performance, just being in the family. So you need to get a good night's sleep. In social media, we know from metrics and data collection has caused an increase in insomnia. We also know that there is a dose-response relationship, and this is very important, that the more social media a kid takes in, the greater the risk of anxiety and depression. Specifically, two to three hours of screen time is associated with a doubling in the risk of depression or anxiety. So we can control the amount of screen time. And I think that we're now mature enough to have two thoughts in our head. And one thought is, if we believe that our kid is mature enough to use the internet, we can acknowledge that, but we also can put some limits on the amount of time and the location. And I'm a big believer that devices, particularly for the 13, 14, 15 year olds, should be in public spaces. I've seen and heard of too many cases where kids are doing things secretive and we're going way beyond the realm of cyberbullying. And the other thing about secret behavior is sometimes, particularly in girls, is it can trespass into the world of self-injury. And this is not something that we want our kids to see. What we take in, what we see, what we hear is what we believe, and what we believe is what we act on. There is a difference to the way that social media can impact girls um, than it does with boys. And you alluded to that a little bit, but let's dive into that a little bit more. What are some of the, you know, potential problems with girls 
And then some of the common potential problems with young boys who are uh, social media users. Let's start with girls first, just because we brought them up first. Girls tend to use the internet for images, and that extends throughout the lifespan. So when you think about women who are grandmothers, they tend to use the internet to look at pictures of family. So it's very, very visual. And social comparison, particularly in girls about body image, is really important to be on the lookout for because just like Seventeen Magazine was associated with anorexia and eating disorders, so too is social comparison on body image as a result of social media. And that's a real problem specific to Instagram and Facebook use, particularly in girls. It can occur in boys, so we're making some generalizations. It's important to recognize that there are gender differences. Let's pivot to boys. Boys use social media very differently. Boys tend, young boys tend to video game. And that brings out a lot of competitive pressure, just like sports do. And that can make boys feel badly about their performance. But interestingly, unlike girls, boys tend to develop more of a connectedness from playing games because the process of the game connects you to somebody else as opposed to what girls do, which is looking at images of others and internally comparing them to the self. So boys tend to spend a lot of time on video game and it's that time spent video gaming that takes them away from sports, from schoolwork, from doing the other things that they should be doing. So-called time displacement, that's separate from, from what the girls do. The other thing that boys get into trouble with more and more are going to inappropriate websites, sexual websites, and we're seeing more and more cases. So we see boys learning about sexual behavior online and using pornography and therefore learning or what they think is right about sex ed from pornography. So that tends to be more of a male thing. So how then as parents, do we strike that balance between allowing kids to use social media for the good things that we did talk about and make sure that they aren't negatively impacted by it? Well, think about what we're doing right now. We're right now using the internet to provide information for parents that hopefully is useful for them and for their families. And that's a positive use of the internet. So I wouldn't want anybody to think that we're anti-internet or anti-social media. The question is, how do we use it usefully, like we're doing now in an educational way? And I think that as a parent, using the internet for learning, for information, also teaching kids how to use it responsibly to make sure they're getting correct information, because the amount of disinformation and misinformation on the internet is off the chart. And it's very important that, particularly in the middle and high school years, as children learn to write essays and express themselves verbally, that they learn how to determine what's true from what isn't true. And part of that is how to vet information. You as a journalist do this. I'm sure you teach your kids how to determine the truth when they see something. How do you know that really happened? That's a good use of the internet, right? Bad uses of the internet are dangerous things, going into areas that you don't know about, interacting with people that you don't know, spending time that takes you away from things that you would otherwise be doing, spending time with your friends, spending time with your family. When the internet and your social media use gets in the way of your ability to keep a schedule 
to get things done that you would otherwise need to get done, you really have a problem. And the reality is that social media is designed that way. Now, I have some friends who are tech entrepreneurs, and some of them will not allow their kids to use social media because, and they'll tell me this, it's more addictive than crack cocaine. So our cell devices, this is pretty shocking, are programmed to bring us back to look every nine to 11 minutes. Wow. Right. Nine to 11 minutes. So the average person, when they're parted from their cell phone between nine to 11 minutes, has that urge of where's my device? Where's my phone? Did you see my phone? And we all have this. So that anxiety shows that it's become part of us. And when that part of us takes us away from the other parts of our identity, it's not good. So in young people's sleep deprivation because of the light, time displacement with all of those possible behaviors taking us away from fulsome and healthy things are that which we want to avoid while simultaneously learning to use the internet as a good tool to give us information that makes our lives better. So this to me is a tricky one, and it's about navigating that fine line between a teenager's privacy and monitoring online behavior or whatever it is they're doing. So how do we navigate that fine line as parents so that we don't break our trust with our kids, um, but also very clearly understand what they have going on in their online world? I'm going to be provocative and challenge a notion, and that's your notion of privacy. I will tell you that I would bet that you probably don't think that you have privacy on the computer that you're using at work. Uh, you probably, I don't think I have privacy on the computer that I use at work. I don't think that children should have the assumption that they have total privacy on their computers or their devices, because I don't think that children have the ability to make great decisions about their own safety. And that's where parents come in. We're the backstops to make sure that our kids are safe. So this assumption that your online life is somehow like a diary is incorrect because a diary is not something where somebody can sneak in and kidnap you. A diary is a, your own thoughts written in a book. The internet is an interactive device where your child is communicating with somebody. And I'll tell you, we got to know who our kids are communicating with. Importantly, we'd like to think as parents that we have so much control over our kids, but we don't. The people that have control over our kids are their friends. So the most important thing that we can do as parents is to nudge our kids to associate with people that are healthy kids. And we have to do that by knowing who their kids are. And we can't really know who their friends are simply by looking at text messages or something on Instagram or Snapchat. That's simply insufficient. So I challenge the very notion that in everybody's household, a teenager has to have privacy on the internet. You alluded to earlier in our conversation, cyberbullying. This is a major problem, online harassment. So how does cyberbullying or harassment impact a child's mental health? And the second part to that question is what then can we do as parents to support them in this? Great question. So cyberbullying is when a kid is sort of picked out from the crowd and excluded and treated badly. And it could be 
omission, where it could be something like there is a party. And in the old days, maybe you didn't know if you were invited to the birthday party, but now you can see the birthday party from everybody else's pictures at the birthday party. So the passive form of cyberbullying is not being invited to the party and seeing everybody else having a great time at the party that you were not invited to. Now, as a parent, you wouldn't think of that as cyberbullying, but it's the exclusion from the group that has the most corrosive effect on our kids. Mental health is connection. Let me say that again. Mental health is connection. And when social media disconnects us from other people, it compromises our mental health. And that disconnection from being excluded is largely responsible for increased rates of depression and anxiety. So I think that's, that's probably the first pass, passive cyberbullying. And then it goes up to more active cyberbullying, where people's classmates or people that they don't even know are putting information online about them that may not even be correct in an effort to humiliate and embarrass them. And sadly, I've seen children take their lives as a result of cyberbullying. In terms of the second part of your question of what can we do about it, it goes back to what we were talking about before. You have to know what your kid is up to online. I know kids who haven't told their parents that they're being cyberbullied because they don't want their parents to think they're losers. So it's on us as parents to know what our kids are doing online. And if my child doesn't feel comfortable telling me that they're cyberbullied because they're being made to feel like a loser, that's a terrible tragedy. And that's something I've seen way, way too many times and justifies what I was saying to you before. And that is, why do we assume that our kids have to have an absolute right to privacy? I need to know as the parent, if my kid is being cyberbullied, I shouldn't have to wait for a yearly physical at the pediatrician where, because now, by the way, I think because of the internet, we now screen all children for depression and anxiety. That's new. That's a CDC recommendation, universal screening recommendation. And that's largely a result of the loneliness that has that has descended on us largely as a result of social media and the internet. That is so heartbreaking to hear about a child not wanting to tell his or her parents because it makes them feel like they're they're a loser. And, you know, I think often I have conversations with my kids. It's like, it's not you, it's them. You know, that to me is a cry for help for the person who's so mean. However, that's so much easier said than done. Like, I understand that, but geez, that, that would just be heartbreaking. Well, by, but by extension too, what it means is as a parent, if you're going to have a party, it means that we have to be mindful about including the other kids in the class, that these are no longer the days, Adrian, when you and I were kids, where we didn't see images of everybody. Perhaps now, now that we're coming out of COVID and getting back to in-person comfort with each other, you know, maybe now is an opportunity for parents to begin to teach kids more about in-person social skills by increasing inclusivity and decreasing the risk factors of exclusion. And that exclusion is the thing that leads to cyberbullying in the first place. Well, and, and some of the apps have those heat maps, you know, where you can in real time see where kids are. Um, I, you know, before we wrap up, I just also think it's important for us to do our own self-reflection here. I mean, the reality is, is 
it's hard for a lot of us parents to put the phone down sometime, whether it's you get home from work and you're still on your work emails or responding to somebody on Teams, or maybe it is on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it might be. But the important thing takeaway too is look at how our own actions might impact the way our, our kids, our children use social media. We are continuously modeling behavior. My children are older and grown and have moved back. And when we have family dinner together, our custom is to put the phones away. So there are boundaries, just like I wouldn't want to take a book out and read it when I'm having dinner with a group of people. Why would I want to take a phone out and read on that? It's rude and it distracts you. It causes time displacement. And we could begin to model for our kids conversations with them where we're not peripherally looking at our phone, where we're maybe leaving a phone in another room at night. Phones should not be in bedrooms. Phones should be when they're being charged in other rooms, both for privacy reasons and for light reasons. And that also helps reinforce boundaries away from our devices. So Dr. Barkin, if there was one takeaway today, and we, you know, I think this is the reality is this is a topic that we could go down all different channels with. But if there was one takeaway today, something that parents can do today, what would that be? To realize that mental health equals connection to others and to use social media and the internet to create opportunities for connection to others in person and not allow social media and the internet to replace connection in person. Mental health is connection. Dr. Barkin, thank you so much. Great conversation. Of course, we will have more resources on WGME.com slash Raising Me. Thanks for having me, Adrian. There were a lot of good takeaways from Dr. Barkin today. I'd say two really had me thinking after our conversation. One is challenging the notion of privacy when it comes to our kids using social. That really had me thinking about that, that Ultimately, it is our job to protect our kids in both the real and the virtual worlds. The second is that knowing if they're ready for social isn't about hard and fast measurable rules. Rather, how strong is their self-worth? What is the comfort level in their own skin, as Dr. Barkin put it, rather than thinking about age? This makes sense, a lot of sense actually, since we know there can be so much unhealthy comparison or feelings of being left out when it comes to social. So some really good things to think about. Thank you for being a part of Raising Me. I'm Adrian Stein. This episode is edited by Megan Littlefield. Please take a moment to follow Raising Me wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, we greatly appreciate a positive rating and review as well so that other people can find this message. Wherever you are, I hope you learned something new and get to take a little time for you.